This is John Rulin, and you're listening to Radio Free Leader. Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burkus, best-selling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up on the show notes page for this episode at davidberkus.com slash 728 or text Radio Free to 33444. We get a lot of free resources and content there. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit, a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox. Again, that's davidberkus.com slash 728 or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. Today we're talking with John Rulin. John is the author of the book Giftology, The Art and Science of Using Gifts to Cut Through the Noise, Increase Referrals, and Strengthen Retention. John is also the founder of the Rulin Group, a company that specializes in helping other people give strategic gifts that make much better investments into individual and corporate relationships. It's a fantastic uh, concept. I had dinner with John several months ago on the night we first met at a conference, and I was just fascinated with what he does and what he teaches around gifts giving. In the corporate world, we spend a lot of money on gifts and especially a lot of money on gifts that don't really matter and don't make people feel appreciated. And so John helps companies and people do exactly that. We're also going to talk about how he does that inside his own company so we can get a, a peek inside how he manages things. We're going to talk about why people are so bad at giving gifts and how we can get better by considering the individual, considering what's special for them, and considering the timing with which we give the gifts. I had a wonderful dinner with John the very first day we met, as I said, and this was a wonderful interview to conduct, so I know you're really, really going to enjoy it and take a lot out of it. So that said, here we go. So who are you and what do you do? So uh, John Rulin with the Rulin Group, author of Giftology, and and, uh, the core thing that we teach is every leader says that relationships matter. Um, you know, that relational assets are one of their biggest assets and most important, but most leaders fall short when it comes time to actually show the gratitude, appreciation, whatever buzzword you want to put with it, um, to employees, clients, any key relationship that they have, they usually fall short and drop the ball. And so we teach people not only the power and the impact of doing it right, but, you know, we kind of inspire people to take action on what they're doing wrong. And, and, uh, and then oftentimes they come back to us and say, John, Man, you're really right. We're not we're we're doing the token gift around the holidays, or we're doing the bonus or the normal stuff, but we're really falling short. Can you help us execute a, a strategy and then logistically send out gifts? Um, can you help us with that? And the answer is yes. That's really the core business of what we started 16 years ago. Yeah, and and I'm glad you pointed that out because it was John Rulin with the Rulin Group, which also meant that you're the founder of said group. But I know you. You're too humble to to admit that. Um, and then even now you're using the royal we instead of I found, that's why I founded the rule. And um, I, so I actually, you've got an interesting story and we, we met, uh, a couple months ago at an event in Ojai. Um, we got seated next to each other, uh, which was quite cool. We were sort of the two token Midwest people at this, <laughs> yeah. at this conference of Silicon Valley types and New York types and, and Toronto, which is, you know, another metropolis like the other two. And then there's these two guys from the, the probably the only two guys <laughs> yeah. from the Midwest there. 
And uh, if 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 you can even count where I live as the Midwest, I don't actually know where Oklahoma is. But that's a that would take a totally different podcast to figure out. Anyway, agreed. We we met, and and I, I, two things fascinated me. The the first was I asked you what you do, and you gave me a little bit different answer, which I I'm going to repeat because I thought it was awesome. You basically said I teach people how to love on their people better, and I, I loved that idea. Yeah, um, because it, I mean it's at the core of of what you do. It's at the core of what I read in the new book, um, but also it's it's really that sort of underappreciated thing. And there is there's a science to give awesome gift giving and reciprocation and all that sort of stuff. But the, but the bottom line is, we know from tons of research that relationships matter, and gifts even just for that, no ROI calculations on the on the back end are, are totally worth it. The other thing that fascinated about me is that. You are, I believe, still to the day, the single best Cutco salesman in the history of the company, which I just find a fascinating story. And it's connected to how you started the ruling group, too. Yeah. Um, so how does one do that? How does one? How do does that? one be the best Cutco? So, because because here's the thing: it's when I think about it, I come at it from I'm a I'm a college professor by day, right? And so every summer there are three or four of my students who are uh, who who go into Cutco, try and you know make money over the summer so they can come back and not have to work as hard during the semester. I get it. I want to know what to tell them, but also I think the lesson of how you did it applies to anybody who has to sell or influence anyone. Yeah, well, the uh, most people would be like, "Well, you must have grown up in like a household where like you were, you know, went to Harvard or you like the country club. You must have had some wealthy family that you sold to or whatever else." And if you know Cutco, there, there's about a million and a half college kids in the 70 year history of the company that have walked through their doors. And a farm boy from Ohio that milked goats every morning was one of six kids. Probably wouldn't be the first person you'd pick to be <laughs> their top salesperson. Um, but fortunately, I, when I interned with the company, they have an amazing training program, sales training program, and that's the reason so many people have gone through the doors. Um, and they have a great product, but they, I was fortunate to be dating a girl at the time, and her dad was an attorney, and he's the kind of attorney that made all of his money on non-attorney-related things. You know, He owned the oil wells and the bank, and the real estate that he bought two years before became the big shopping development, and I noticed he was always giving things away. And all the referrals seemed to be attracted to him. And he never asked for anything in return. And so I remember pitching him the idea of giving away what I thought he would give away, which is pocket knives because all of his clients were guys. They're pallet manufacturers, home builders. It was in a basically rural Ohio. It's the largest Amish community in the world. So not exactly a metropolis. And, uh, and he got this like funny kind of glint in his eye and leaned back in his chair. We were getting ready to go to church on a Sunday morning. And he said, John, what about the paring knives? Could I give those away? And I'm sure I had like, I'm 20 years old. I had this deer in a headlights look of like, you're going to give grown men with beards, like paring knives as gifts. Like, that's just the, like, are you really? And I uh, said, John, you're probably wondering why. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm confused, but I'll sell you as many paring knives as you want. He said, John, I found that if you take care of the whole family, um, everything else seems to take care of itself. And so I started to teach that the knives weren't the end all be all. They were the delivery vehicle for appreciation, gratitude, you know, surprise and delight, all these different things that we teach now. And so by the time I was a senior in college, I was selling thousands of paring knives or carving sets or steak knives or whatever Cutco offered that were engraved um, and using them as tools to open doors with new clients and prospects to appreciate clients and their spouses and their families and, and really understood, started to understand that most people in the business world, they might understand operations or finance really well, but nobody is teaching in business school like how to become a better gift giver. And so 
we started to get speaking engagements and uh, pro sports teams as clients, uh, like the Chicago Bears and, and others. And, and uh, we're now 16 years later still teaching many of those core foundational principles that I learned you know, 16 years ago when I was a college student at Malone. And, and I should say living those principles too. So, you know, I, I said we met at this event in, in Ojai and I, before that event, got a really cool gift from the event organizer that later I figured out was basically organized by you, but it was this super cool, um, chef's knife. I'm pretty sure I can't yep. tell my knives apart. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Good, good call. Most people call it a butcher knife, but it's a, yeah, it's a chef knife. Yeah. Um, and super, super, super cool engraved, um, to what I thought was really cool was to both, both my and my wife's name and the whole family was, was on it, which is again, that idea that you take care of the whole family. And then, and I don't know, I, I honestly, I'm put you on the spot. I'll edit this out later. I don't know if, how many people you did this for, but when I got home after we had had dinner that one night, there were uh, a set of four steak knives with on each one quotes from my first book, The Mists of Creativity. And they obviously were somebody's favorite quotes because they weren't they weren't mine. So somebody read through the book and found like, oh, I really like this or, or whatever. Um, and I don't know how many people you you did that for. And, and I don't actually I don't actually care. I assume it wasn't all 150 people that were at this. No, event. but no. Wh- what I think was so was so awesome about it is at that point, like I. I have nothing to offer you, right? It wasn't about like just giving a gift and then going, hey, I gave you that gift three months ago. Now let me do this. It was just about like, this is a relationship that we want to keep going and this is what I know how to do, which is really that idea that, you know, you're living exactly what you're teaching. It's at the core of kind of everything you do. I think I heard on a on a different podcast of yours that I was listening to because the steak knives definitely made me a fan. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was a fan before that, but anyway... Yeah, I, I read it was something like a quarter million dollars a year is your your gifting budget, and that's not you've never calculated an ROI on that or anything. It's just what you know to set aside to do to invest in these relationships. That's correct. Yeah, I mean it's it, it varies from year to year, but it's usually it, it can go higher than that. Um, but it's usually around that, and and it's yeah, I think the the idea of modeling what you teach is a big you know there's a a lot of people that speak on a certain topic and then, you know, they're like, they're marriage experts. And then they're like, meanwhile, they're on their fifth marriage. That doesn't really, that's not very congruent. Um, so I think that, um, actually modeling generosity, we call it radical generosity and doing gifts just because not because you're, you know, putting strings attached or you're asking for something, but you're just planning. I caught, you know, it's like kind of goes back to some of my, you know, Christian roots of, of planting good seeds and you reap what you sow. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Proverbs 18, 16 is one of my favorite, a gift ushers you into the presence of the great. And I feel like, um, it's, it's been interesting just to see like over the last 16 years, things I did 10 years ago, all of a sudden becoming relevant now. And I could have never planned for that, but I think that just being generous on a consistent basis year round with people has, um, has really opened up doors that we could have never pried open with millions of dollars of advertising or anything else. Yeah, no, I mean, I see it as I watch both your company and your own kind of career success. I've, I've seen it in just the little I've known about you. And then, and then the stories. I mean, I was at a different event on a, on a boat on the Delaware River, uh, 
talking to a bunch of different people and they're sharing stories of gifts John Rulin gave a friend of theirs or to them, et cetera. <laughs> um, I never told you that that happened, but it really did. And it lets that sort of legacy precede you. And again, it stems from that idea of, of radical generosity, not wanting to sort of get something back. I, I wanted to ask you is it, why we're so terrible at giving gifts. But I wonder if that's one of the reasons. If if the fact that we're almost always calculating what are we going to get out of giving this gift, is that the biggest reason we sort of suck at gift giving? Well, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, you know, our type A Western culture, you know, 2016, we're so driven and we, we are metrics driven, but I think there's also an element of, you know, we're fearful of being maybe taken advantage of. We're fearful of looking silly and nobody is modeling it in most organizations. Like it starts with if the CEO is really generous, you know, people it tends to trickle down. It's so like a Zappos, you know, Tony Shea lives in a trailer and is like he's obviously not driven by possessions. And he, you know, the way that they built their culture is is wanting to invest in their people and take care of their people. And so it trickles down all the way to your um, you know, the people that are answering the phones for customer service. And so I think that if more leaders were out there modeling the radical generosity, I think that more people in their organizations would be inspired to take the risk of doing something without necessarily, you know, having a direct ROI attached to it. Because people are spending money on entertaining and other things that you could call gifts, you know, taking people out to dinner or doing trade shows or ball games. Um, I think the reason that, you know, tangible gifts and gifting, most people just feel uncomfortable with it. They're not, there's Nobody's modeling it. And so um, people tend to be sheep and they do whatever they see that is acceptable in their organization or by their peers. And if nobody else is doing it, they're sure is not, not going to stick their neck out and be the crazy guy spending a quarter million dollars on knives that year um, and losing their job as a result of it. So I think that's it kind of all, you know, becomes a part of the, uh, the challenge to overcome in most organizations. So I, I guess that leads to an obvious follow-up question is, is how do we do that? So this is what the norm is. This is what we're trained by the norms of the organization or the culture, et cetera, to do. How do we kind of break out of that? And when we're looking to give a gift to a potential client or a friend or, or what have you, where do, where do we start in figuring out what is actually a meaningful gift to give? Be, beyond just, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about taking care of the whole family, but what, what else is there when you're making a decision to give a gift to someone that you go through? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, the, including the whole family is a big thing and understanding that inner circle. I call it the inner circle. So sometimes it's the assistant, the, the spouse and the kids. They're underappreciated in most business scenarios. I think that, you know, if you are looking at ROI, looking at something that's going to have some staying power. Um, you know, a lot of times people do food as a gift because it's like, well, everybody eats, but they don't realize that some people drink alcohol, some people don't, some people are like vegan or, or there's food allergies or whatever else. So we stay away from things that are consumable. Uh, one, because you only get one impression. And so people are like, well, it only costs $30 to send that, you know, bottle of wine. And I'm like, well, you thought of you one time. I want somebody, you know, to your point about the, you know, the legacy and hearing about me at the river or other places, a lot of the gifts that we do are around for decades. And the goal is for them not to be a token. Like I hate the word token. Like nobody would say that they have token friendships or token business relationships. Um, Cause that means it means nothing it, I use the word artifact. I want somebody 30 years from now still to be thinking of me, whether it's using a handmade leather bag that I sent them or a knife or whatever. So I look for things that have some stain power that are practical and actually get used. And I, I think one of the things I saw Paul do, my, my mentor, 
was he would ask himself, most people say, what's the least I can get away with? Like, is this a $100 client or a $50 client? We, like we do it in our personal relationships. We, when we're going to a wedding, we're like, is this a $50 friendship or a $250 friendship that I need to send a gift for? Or a graduation is another example. Like, do I need to do a check of $75 or do I need to do $150 for this kid? Like, how close is the relationship? And Paul was somebody that would just say, what's the most I could do? And he would do random things like buy like a year supply of noodles for everybody at church the next Sunday and everybody would have boxes of noodles. And not because it was calculated, it was like, I can afford it. I got a great deal and I want to share it with all my closest relationships. And he would just pull the trigger and do things like that. And so I think that when you ask yourself, what's the most I can do and figure out a way to make that happen versus what's the least I can get away with, which is most people's tendencies in every area of their life. um, It's amazing the things that start to happen. And I think one of the the other things that um, is massively important is whatever gift you're giving, make sure you can't personalize a thousand gifts to a thousand different people, like preference wise, at least put their name on it because people will give away tens of millions of dollars to colleges to get their name on the side of the building. You probably, any gift you give out should not have a logo on it, making it all about you. It should be the gift should have their name on it, making it all about them. And that's such a simple detail, but so powerful. Oh, totally. I The only backpack or bag, messenger bag or whatever that I've ever willingfully carried around uh, that had a company logo on it is the bag, I, the gift bag I got when I went to TED, right? And so <laughs> what I do is what I tell people is unless you're TED, right? Unless you're that <laughs> big of an organization, I don't want to wear your brand, right? I don't really care about your marketing firm based <laughs> in you know, Chicago, I, I don't need to carry that around. So unless no. you're that, or unless you, you know, you're, you're Versace, uh, I, I don't know that I want to carry that brand around for you. If anything, you know, that's not a gift. You should be paying me to carry your, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, there are, I mean, it isn't, it's making it all about you. It really, they, they want you to become a billboard and they really, they're confusing what a promotional item is or a, a marketing expense versus a gift, which is recipient focused. And so I think I always ask people, does your logo add value? to the gift or take value away? Are they more likely to use it or less likely? And 99 out of 100 times, like TED is a exclusive club. It's almost like a fraternity, sorority that you're, that adds value because there's a prestige of being a part of that. But XYZ accounting firm or even Google, like there's a number of people I've talked to at Google are like, I don't need another like thing with the Google logo on it. Like I want to be treated like a human being. I'm not just a Googler. Yeah. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I think Ted, that TED bag is a perfect example. Yeah, I've actually one of my colleagues at the university refers to it as my TED brag instead of my TED bag because. <laughs> get, but I mean, <laughs> there's an element again, of that. You're proud of it. Oh, totally. And again, that's not that's not anything on them. They're not unique. But you're you're right. There is probably one percent of brands out there that we willingly want to uh, associate. And if you're not one of those, then you ought to be thinking about what do they want on their bag on their their polo shirt on their jacket or or what have you and if you can't think of a good one I, I love your suggestion that their name it's like everybody's favorite two words is is their name um I, you brought up an interesting thing when you were talking about google and just another thing with google and i want to be treated like a human and not an employee you model this too in your own firm i mean you and, and i've i've heard you talk about this before you have interesting and unique perks that let people take care of the whole family etc like paying for house cleaning for all of your employees etc and so I guess I, I want to ask kind of a two-part question, your own philosophy toward taking care of your own employees. And then for the leaders, even if you're a team leader or if you're the owner or the, the you know the senior leader of a large organization, 
What advice do you have for people trying to figure out how to give a gift to a, a wide number of people? Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, yeah, we do pay to have our employees house clean because that's something that it, it includes the whole family. They're less stressed. And, and I think that asking yourself the question of what would the other person want, but they would never go spend the money on themselves. Um, and so if I gave my, my employees the option of cash or house cleaning, a lot of them would choose cash because they'd feel guilty about choosing house cleaning because they could take the money and buy something for their kids or their spouse or apply it to the house payment or whatever else. And so I think a lot of times people mistake, um, you know, they need to think, you know, thoughtfully and say, what would somebody want to, what really want for themselves that they wouldn't necessarily ask for or do for themselves. And I think that's a really, that's how we came to the idea of doing the house cleaning is I knew people would turn it down, but it's been one of those perks. It costs us, I don't know, 1800 or $2,000 a year per employee, but it's amazing how, even when I spoke at Google, like the Google employees were like, we, we don't even get that. Like, that's amazing perk. Like, I would love that. And I've seen other people say, like, you have an employee for life um, if you offered me that. And so I think asking yourself that, that question, I think when you're doing a mass, you know, quantity of gifts for a large group of people, oftentimes the surprise element, I see a lot of people giving gifts as after referral or at the end of the year. And I think that you can get away with doing the same gifts, let's say for 10,000 employees, if if you just pick a different time, like I, out of the quarter million dollars of gifts I send out every year, I don't send one gift between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the reason is, is if you expect the gift, if it's obligatory, it's way less meaningful than a, I just because I was thinking of you, like the, the steak knives I sent you, like you could afford to buy your own steak knives. Like, you know, we had dinner, like I found out you were a massive meat eater, um, but I could have sent those same steak knives to all 150 people at that event. And probably they all would have at least appreciate it and liked it just because of the surprise element. And if they, you know, I could have customized it with their, their favorite quotes or the quotes that they, that from their book, I could have given that same gift to 150 people, but it was the idea of it being a surprise, you know, the handwritten note with it, um, making it all about you, not about me. Like there's certain elements that even across thousands of people, um, that you can kind of scale, you know, everybody's looking for scale opportunities. You really can scale appreciation if you do some of the details right on giving the same gift to everybody. I think that's that's phenomenal advice on the idea of the surprise element. And especially like from a corporate standpoint, you know, we're trained to think of end of the year gifts. And and so they are an expectation. Like I, I'm trained to know what my uh, my university is going to give out to, to faculty what my wife's work is going to give out. We're just kind of trained to expect it. And so unless it's a surprise, we don't, I don't know that we notice it or, or appreciate it at all. I will tell you one of the coolest, cause I think this runs by your, your surprise elements on my wife's side. One of her former employees did do a Christmas gift, but what they did yeah. was they ran a, a Yankee swap or white elephant or dirty Santa, whatever you want to call it. But nobody brought a gift like that was the surprise. It was, hey, we're going to do this right now. I know we didn't warn you because we didn't want you to bring a gift. We went and bought 75 gifts for all of these people. And then let's do the game. Um, yeah. Which was, again, it was a, a way to add surprise element, but still to the Christmassy thing. So short of that, like you're right, it's a season where everybody's expecting it. But, you know, the, the middle of spring or the middle of summer or, you know, after the conference is over, when you expect like that one follow up email where you trade V cards <laughs> for your contacts file, um, that's yep. all you expect. And so the other thing becomes just a, an absolutely huge surprise. There's there's definitely something to that. So, um John, I should say, I don't remember if I said this uh, at the beginning. So if I did not, I apologize. 
one of the biggest mistakes John has made in his professional life is he's taken a lot of the stuff we just talked about and a lot of the proprietary thought around gift giving that he's developed and he put it in a book that you can buy for like 20 bucks uh, so you don't have to hire them. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) But John's taken a lot of these ideas and put them into the new book, Giftology, the art and science of using gifts to cut through the noise, increase referrals, strengthen retention, and you could add to the subtitle and just be a better human by giving real gifts from one human to another. Um, it's, a, it's a really good read. It shares a lot of these, these tactics. So I want to encourage people to check it out. Um, it's available now on Amazon, wherever good books are sold. You can even gift it to other people through the Amazon website. So that's totally appropriate. John, though, I, this is the time in every interview where we transition from, from the book and from the idea that you are an evangelist for and just talk about you specifically and yeah. ask you five questions, same five questions for every guest. First one, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, I would have to say that uh, it was modeled through Paul, um, my, my initial mentor, and I've seen it modeled through a few other people, but the idea of giving more than is reasonable. I think uh, I kind of shared a little bit of it earlier, the idea that people hold back 5% in most of their relationships. They, whether it's with their spouse or their kids, they, they just hold back a little bit. I don't know if it's because they're like, I don't, how am I going to one-up myself next year or um, how am I going to take it to the next level the following year? I think that when you give more than is reasonable, um, it's amazing how that extra 5 or 10% just causes relationships to go deep faster, whether it's personally or professionally. Hmm. I like it. I do. What's an average day look like for you? Um, so I'm usually right now I have a nine month old. We have three, uh, girls, five, three and nine months. So it kind of depends on, um, they have some sleep challenges and issues. So depending upon how much sleep I get that night and how many nightmares and, and, uh, nighttime feedings and all that kind of stuff. But I would say, what do you mean challenges and issues? That's like, that's exactly what they do that I would be worried (laughs) if they were sleeping nine hours a night at nine months. Well, well, it's not just the nine month old. It's the three and the five year old are uh, also having nightmares and challenges. So that's, uh, that causes, you know, some nights and some nights we're getting eight hours of sleep, but I would say in general, I, um, I'm up somewhere between six and seven, um, head down to the, the home office. I have a sauna down there and, uh, do the sauna, do a little workout, uh, do a little reading, kind of do my, you know, how Elrod's got the miracle morning. Uh, he's a close friend and I kind of have my miracle morning I do. And, and then, um, typically we'll head into, uh, to town. I work remotely. My, most of my employees are back in Ohio. I'm, I'm in St. Louis. And so I'll head into a coffee shop or um, I'd say the last six months I've been doing a lot of juicing. So I head to the juice bar, get my juice um, and uh, and we'll sit down and kind of dive into uh, the critical emails. And then um, I'd say at least half the day I'm on the phone talking with either clients or my team to kind of work through strategy for our gifting clients and and uh, kind of laying out plans for for people either to do prospecting or um take care of their employees or what have you. So that's a, that's a normal day. There are days where I'm traveling and speaking at conferences and, and events and trade shows and, and whatever else, but that's, that's probably only once a, a month where I'm speaking at an event. I try to limit that as much as possible. I'm already on the road enough. So that's, 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 a, that's a normal day. What are you reading right now? I'm reading um, – the book that I'm reading right now is The Art uh, of – The Magic – 
what is it? The magic of tidying up. It's the the life changing magic of tidying up. Yes, yes, that's the book. So I have that in my sauna, and I've been I've been re- I'm about halfway through that book, and my wife is very like like she she loves um, structure and tidiness and whatever else, and I'm I tend to be like big picture person, and so like I'm trying to like step up my like organizational game at home. And so that's the book that I, uh, I think a buddy of mine actually sent it to me, which is kind of weird, but I decided to dive into it about a month ago and I'm about halfway through. What do you believe that most people don't? What do I believe that most people don't? Um, I think that I believe that it's really what I put forth in the book, which is, um, gifting matters. Like how we show appreciation and gratitude to people isn't, it's not a nice to, it's not a check the box once a year it's not a if we get around to it it's um you know if relationships are really important to you how you actually show gratitude to people um can be out of all the things that we think about in business marketing operations finance it can be that little like you know all things being equal it can be the thing that puts you on the side of you know greatness or just kind of being average i would say that's the what i that's what i believe that most people don't so the title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In, in your view, what makes someone a leader? Well, I, I think, um, you know, one of my friends back in Ohio leads a, a group called Leaders Worth Following. And I think that, uh, you know, if nobody's following you, um, then you might be leader by title because you can, like, force people to follow you. But I think that a leader is somebody that uh, that's worth following. And if you have a a group of people, whether that's 10 people or whether that's 10,000 people, if, if they're following by choice, not because of title or because they need a paycheck or whatever else, then I think, uh, then I think you're a leader. And if, if, uh, if you're only able to get followers based upon the, uh, the power that you command over them, then, uh, then I would say uh, you're not really a very good leader. That's good. So the, the book, again, is Giftology, The Art and Science of Using Gifts to Cut Through the Noise, Increase Referrals, and Strengthen Retention. If you suck at gift giving, uh, I, you should definitely check out the book. And if you are or think you're good at gift giving or are legitimately good and you want to get better, I would check out the book. Now, if you, if you really suck at gift giving or if you want to get really, really good at gift giving, I would encourage you to check out the Ruling Group as well. We'll have links to all of that. Uh, in in the show notes so you can check it all out. In the meantime, John, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. David, man, thanks so much for having me. This has been a pleasure.